Would you bow with me once more? Lord, even now, Father, we we pray all together as one that you would hide our souls in the cleft of the rock. Spirit, I pray that you would hide me behind your power and your grace and your mercy. I am not an eloquent man. I am not gifted in speech. But Lord, you are all sufficient in every way. We turn our attention now to your word. I pray that you would speak, Lord. In spite of a foolish and unworthy servant, Lord, that you might move among us and that we might hear from you today. That you would instruct us, that you would grow us, that you would convict us, that you would move us. Father, may we be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Through the power of your word, would you restore unto us the joy of our salvation? And once again, renew a right spirit within us. We love you, Lord. We ask all this in the precious name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. You'll take your Bibles with me once again and turn right to where we left off just earlier in the service. We will read Exodus chapter 9. Verses 1 through 12. I know we've been up and down a lot. This will be the last up and down that we ask of you. But if you would, out of reverence, please stand out of the public, out of reverence for the public reading of God's holy word. Would you please stand if you're physically able as we look together now at Exodus chapter 9, beginning in verse 1. The word of the Lord says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go into Pharaoh and say to him, Thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with a very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And the Lord set a time, saying, Tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened. And he did not let the people go. And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust over all the land of Egypt and become boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt, so that they took soot. From the kiln and stood before Pharaoh and Moses threw it in the air and it became boils breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils for the boils came upon the magicians and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart 
And he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. So this morning, we move into the second cycle of three plagues. So if you'll remember, we talked about there's a preview sign with the snakes. Remember, Aaron takes his staff. He throws it down. All the magicians take their staffs and throw them down. The, the priests of the Egyptian false gods, all those staffs become snakes. But Aaron's staff, as a snake, consumes all the other snakes. Eats them all up. They're gone. Gobbled up. Tastes good. Move on. And the magicians were able to repeat the sign. And then, for the first three plagues, we, we saw that the magicians, for the most part, were able to repeat many of those signs. But then, at the end of our time together last week, the magicians said, Surely, this is the finger of God. They recognized that this was something beyond them. They recognized that God was up to something unique and very special, and they still, even in recognizing that it was God, missed the point of what God was trying to say. So we, we zeroed in on last week talking through the fact that we as Christians cannot miss that everything that is going on is still being orchestrated by our God. Our God is completely sovereign and on the throne. He's not just the president. He is the king, the only ruler, the highest king above all kings. There's not a fly that flaps its wings that the Lord is not aware of, that the Lord does not direct and plan and purpose and move through even the flies and the gnats and the bugs. God is in the process of putting all of these Egyptian gods to shame in our story from Exodus. There is something along those lines going on today in our midst with the coronavirus and all that is going on. Let us not be the people that recognize, surely this is the finger of God and not respond. As we continue through these plagues, Remember that the Israelites and the Egyptians all saw the same signs, and yet they responded in completely opposite directions. Do not let us be the people who see the finger of God at work, the Spirit of God moving among us, and yet we don't respond appropriately. So, we move into the next three plagues, and folks, I just want to tell you that it was very hard this week not to plan some sort of analogy working with all this stuff, okay? But here's what they did to me, all right? We were going to have fun with this wrecking ball. We were going to destroy some things. There was some construction that was going to go on because you can't put toys up here with a pastor like me and expect for me not to utilize them in some way. But they called in the big guns. They told my wife to tell me that if I messed with the set for VBS before VBS was over, that my name would be Mud. So I just want you to know the VBS set will stay intact this morning, we will not be throwing wrecking balls that are inflated at anybody in the congregation or anything along those lines. This is, this is safe for VBS. Now, next week, I make no promises. Once VBS is over, I make no promises. You never know what's coming. But I do want us to look at the crazy stuff that is happening, and I feel almost like, as we've mentioned before, Pharaoh and the Lord are in the middle of this incredible bout. This incredible showdown where Pharaoh doesn't stand a chance, but he doesn't know that, right? 
So it's this, it's this announcer that is giving you the update up until this point. Ladies and gentlemen, if you're just tuning in, you've missed the weigh-in ceremony where Aaron threw down his staff and it became a snake. The magicians were able to copy this feat by throwing down their staffs. But I tell you folks, it was the most amazing thing. The weigh-in crowd went in absolutely absurd when they saw the snake from Aaron's staff eat up all the snakes of the others. And then the bout began and as Pharaoh and the Lord squared off, they were sizing each other up and began the fight. The Nile River turned to blood and Pharaoh turned to his magicians and as he turned to those magicians they looked and they were able to make the Nile River into blood but folks they were at a loss for words at their inability to turn the blood back into water and the Lord left them reeling on the ropes as he threw another haymaker at them and before you knew it there were frogs coming out of this bloody Nile there's frogs in the oven there's frogs under your pillow there's frogs everywhere you look folks if you are just now tuning in you have missed a word world of a fight already. Then let me tell you what happened. The dust of the very earth. They took the staff and smacked the earth. And then as the dust flew up, gnats covered everything in the land of Egypt. Pharaoh and all of his house couldn't see the hand in front of their face because gnats were everywhere. Folks, I'm telling you, this is the fight of the century. If you haven't set your DVR to record this, you are missing out. Do not turn the dial. You don't want to miss a thing because God is winding up and here comes another round in the fight. Folks, I want you to understand, that's the intensity, okay? This is the pay-per-view event of the century. And everybody all over the world is watching because Egypt is one of the major superpowers in the known world of that time. Everybody knew Egypt. Everybody knew the strength of the Nile. And God is systematically putting all their false gods to shame. God is systematically upending everything that they know to be right and normal. All of these false deities that they attributed all of the events of the world to. And God's going, you guys don't seem to understand. I I control everything, says the Lord. I just let you guys think that you're doing something, but really it's all right in the palm of my hand. You, You remember the child's song that's just so true. All the children's songs are always so theologically rich, aren't they? He's got the whole world in his hands. Ain't, ain't nothing that gets away from it. He's in control of every plague, and there's no such thing as an Egyptian false god that can do anything that God doesn't allow. And God is putting all of them to shame. And so he begins in this next cycle, and it's beautiful, the symmetry that we see. The first three plagues, you remember we mentioned that the first plague of the water in the Nile to blood, they go to Pharaoh early in the morning which is the same thing that we see in number four. Plague number four that started us off this morning, the flies, they go to Pharaoh early in the morning. Then the second plague, when the frogs come from the Nile, they just go to Pharaoh. There's no specific time frame that's given. And the same is true in the fifth plague. The fifth plague, it's the second cycle of three. And the same thing happens in plague two as in plague five. They just they go tell Pharaoh at some point in time. And then with the gnats, The same thing is true with the boils. The boils, they just go and they take this soot and they throw it in the air. And you watch as as the soot just spreads over the whole country. And it lands on their skin and it becomes boils that, folks, there's just no nice way to describe how awful 
this must have looked and felt. Okay, th- these, are, these are the bug bites. These are the pimples. These are the zits. These are the boils that swell up and then burst. And there, there's oozing. There's nastiness. Okay, this is absolutely disgusting. And everybody who is Egyptian has these boils on them head to toe. And yet they, they didn't even go and say anything to Pharaoh. It just is something that they do the same way with the gnats. They just hit the dust, and the dust flies up, and it becomes gnats. So with every plague, God is stepping up his game. With every plague, God is putting another false god to shame, and he goes through these cycles of giving Pharaoh these chances. And now we're entering into these cycles of where Pharaoh says, Oh, sure, you guys, you guys can go. Y'all, y'all can leave. Y'all can go and worship. And, and, and then he changes his mind. So now... Pharaoh is giving false hope every time. Oh, yeah, 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 y'all, y'all can go. Y'all can go and worship. No worries. I, I'll let you go. And then, you know, you just come back when you're done. What sets this cycle apart, though, is not that Pharaoh begins giving false hope. It's the distinction that's made. Beginning in the fourth plague, the plagues don't happen to the Israelites. That is a huge shift in the fight. That is a huge shift in the conflict. The frogs were everywhere, all right? Everybody had frogs in their ovens, Egyptians and Israelites alike. The gnats were everywhere. But then, when you get to the flies, when you get to the other plagues that we're coming into, everything that happens, the Israelites are spared. And there is an obvious distinction because of what we saw, excuse me, in chapter 8, verse 22. The land of Goshen. Look with me at at chapter 8 and verse 22. In the land of Goshen, none of these things happen. And the land of Goshen was given in the time of Joseph. So when it mentions that in, in verse 22, it should draw our minds back to when Joseph was alive 400 some odd years ago. And Pharaoh was kind and he said, listen, all of your people, all of your family, Joseph, are shepherds. And shepherds are detestable to Egyptians. That's the lowest of the low professions. And so instead of you guys being ostracized or treated poorly in society, we're going to put you in this nice area called the land of Goshen. All right. And we're going to move you over there so that you're not mixed in with all the people of the Egyptians so that they won't look down on you for being shepherds. And then you guys can kind of have your own place. So the land of Goshen, there's these agreements in Genesis 47, and and you'll you'll see all through there the, the things that are done. And so God has orchestrated even that. Even 400 years ago, God allows for the Israelites to all be gathered together in Goshen so that when it's time to bring them up out of Egypt, the things that he's doing to the rest of the Egyptians aren't happening in Goshen so that every Egyptian, including Pharaoh, will know that God alone is the Lord. That there is one God, not 80. And that that one God is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Listen, we've seen this over and over again, but he says it again there in verse 22. That you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. There, there's hardly a plague that goes by where the Lord doesn't say this very phrase. So that they may know that there is one true and living God and no one else. The whole point of the plagues 
is yes to draw Israel up out of Egypt. Yes to end the slavery. Yes to end the oppression. But the whole point is so that the world would know who God really is and how all these other gods are false gods because they can't do anything like this. Remember that in this time frame, people believed that gods were territorial. So like if there was a God of Covington County, our God in Covington County, our false God, would reign supreme within the borders of Covington County. The God of Altaga County couldn't come to the God of Covington County and mess around with the people of Covington County because our God's protecting us, right? So the fact that Yahweh, outside of the territory of the Israelites, in the heart of Egypt, where the Egyptian gods are supposed to reign supreme, and they can do nothing to even slow it down. The best that they can do is copy some of the early plagues But remember last week, they couldn't make a single frog disappear. They couldn't make a single gnat go away. They couldn't make the blood turn back into water. Not one drop. And so all of these gods have been humiliated beyond what anybody else could understand in our day. Because we just don't don't have these false gods. It's just hard for us to compute what was going on. And now God begins to make a distinction from His people and the rest of of the Egyptians. And folks, that, that carries on for us today. That's one of the most relatable things about this passage, and it's true in all three of the plagues that we looked at. There's a special statement about how the Israelites didn't have the boils. The Israelites still had livestock. Can you imagine being Egyptian and this plague befalls your livestock and now these people who have been your slaves, if you want to eat a hamburger, you got to go to the slave that you beat up yesterday and go, um, hey man, uh, <laughs> sorry about yesterday. Got a little, you know, a little overzealous there with the whip. My bad. Um, I've noticed that all my cows are dead and none of yours are. And I'd really like a hamburger. Um, I'm going to need one of them cows. And then all the Israelites are like, yeah, sorry about your luck, but, uh, they're in the land of Goshen, and that's kind of our territory. And so unless you really want to fight about it or take it up with God, you know, the one that just struck your cow and killed him, I think I'm going to just eat burgers on my own. You're, you're not invited to this cookout. Folks, absolutely humiliating. They can't go and demand it from the Israelites because God is in the midst of destroying all that they have. They're afraid that they might get something worse than the boils if they go and act even worse towards the Israelites. But, man... Hamburger really sounds good, you know? All their livestock is gone. We're not talking about a meat shortage because there's people with COVID at the processing plant. We're talking about all the livestock got some kind of plague and they're dead and they're gone. And then whatever beasts are left get boils, except in the land of Goshen. We're going to see even as these plagues progress that when when God brings darkness, can you imagine how everything is dark except the land of Goshen. Listen, it's the most amazing thing. I had a football coach when I was in high school, and his name was Coach Luker. And Coach Luker was a wonderful, and still is. He's alive. I'm not talking about him like he's dead. I didn't mean to do that. But uh, Coach Luker, if you happen to be watching, love you, buddy. All right. Coach Luker 
was an incredibly, is an incredibly godly man. And something about this connection that the, that the Holy Spirit and Coach Luker had, we would walk outside to play football and practice that afternoon. And I'm talking like the darkest thunderclouds you've ever seen in your life would be covering the school and the campus and the practice field. And Coach Luker, he just had this thing that he did. He'd look up. He didn't have his glasses on. He'd walk outside. He'd kind of stand here like this. He'd take his sunglasses and he'd put his sunglasses on like the sun was going to be out. And we always thought, Coach Luker, you crazy, man. There's sunshine there's behind them clouds. We ain't even going to practice today. I see lightning in the distance. I ain't going to have to run today, Coach. Ha! Gotcha! And he would put them sunglasses on, and I promise you, the Lord smiled down on him, and there was one oval of sunlight right on top of our practice football field. We never seemed to miss a single day of practice, and it never seemed to rain a drop on us on practice days. And so when I think about the land of Goshen being the only place that's lit up, just imagine pitch black dark. Have you ever walked into that closet that has no lights or anything in it? You close the door behind you and it all goes dark. And there's this distinction of I'm in the light and now I can't see. I, I mean, that's what we're talking about in the border here. Like if this line on the stage, you're in Goshen and I'm in Egypt, I can't see my hand in front of my face. I can see there's light that way. I can step into it. But I'm half and half right now. My leg is visible. My other leg is invisible. It's that kind of darkness. Boils on everybody. The people that live right next to the land of Goshen can't walk around because they have so many swelled up boils and places all over them they can't even walk. And then the magicians can't even go and stand before Moses. As if it wasn't humiliating enough. Now... They're so ridden with these boils and this plague has eaten them up to such a degree they can't physically get out of bed and go and stand before Moses. Have you ever had like your eye swollen shut or, or something that happens and your knee is so swollen, you know, you're like, you got this going on, you can't really bend any of your joints because everywhere on your joint you got these huge big swollen places where you, you've bumped your elbow real good, you scratched up your knee real bad, or, or maybe your toe or, or even your eye, you can't see. They're, they're practically blind. They've got boils on their eyelids. They, they've got things behind their knee that's so swollen they, they can't bend. They physically are unable to go before Pharaoh to even try and replicate the plague. So now these same magicians that recognized last week in the third plague, surely this is the finger of God, can't even get out of bed to come and advise Pharaoh about it. And yet Pharaoh's heart is hard. And this is one of those times where it, it says specifically at the end of chapter 9 that the Lord hardened Pharaoh's heart. So I want you to remember this is a point where the boils probably pushed Pharaoh over the edge. The boils probably pushed Pharaoh to the point of, I'm, I'm genuinely going to give up. I'm not going to cheat him. I'm not going to say you can go. No, you can't. I'm, I'm going to let him go. I'm, I'm done with this. God's proven himself and I am unworthy. I got it. And the Lord said, Pharaoh, we got a few more rounds in this fight. And uh, you ain't quite done being humiliated just yet. So I'm going to make sure you stay in the fight. I'm going to make sure you double down and don't let him go just yet i got a few more things to prove to you. i got a few more false gods to put to shame before I bring my people out of the land of Egypt. 
And folks, all those same themes that we talked about in the preview with the snake, Moses is growing more obedient. There were a few plagues that we've read there where God just does it without Moses and Aaron. And then he says to Moses to grab the ashes and throw them. Aaron is not involved. Aaron's staff is not involved. Moses is growing in his obedience. We are continually seeing the superiority of God over these Egyptian false gods. We're continually having issues with the counterfeit signs. That's a point of reference in every one of these plagues, whether they are able to do it or not able to do it. And we're seeing in every one of these cases that Pharaoh's heart was hardened. But this morning, I, I, it's, it's, I have no smooth transition, okay? I, I just want us to look at how this passage applies to our life. There's the educational part about it, but we've already hinted at this. Everything that happens in these plagues sets the people of Israel apart. God has been setting his people apart since the Exodus. God has been distinguishing the people who belong to him from the people who don't belong to him for thousands and thousands of years. And in the New Testament, Jesus says it like this. Look with me at Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, verse 13. Much like the people of Israel who did not have boils, whose livestock did not die, who were not covered up with flies. The Lord says that we are to be distinguished from the world because, in verse 13, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You're the light of the world. A city set on a hill cannot be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Folks, the same way that God set aside the Israelites so that they would stand out among the Egyptians, God has called those who believe in the Lord Jesus Christ to stand out among Everyone else who does not believe, who does not belong. Jesus says that we're to be salt and we're to be light. You could preach four or five sermons just on those three verses. Folks, we're supposed to preserve. We're supposed to give flavor. We're supposed to be the light in the midst of a dark world. And sometimes I wonder, what does that look like? What does that even mean? It's not as easy as like somebody who doesn't belong to Jesus has boils all over their body and I don't. You know, the person that doesn't love Jesus, their dog and their cat and all their pets died and my pets seem to be fine. There's no distinction like that today. So what what sets us apart? And, and it's, it's nothing fancy. It's not some new super deep interpretation of Scripture. It's not like I'm going to dive into the Greek and the Hebrew and tell you, listen, there's this nuance you've never understood it's John 13. Look with me in John 13, verses 34 and 35. Jesus is speaking again, and he says, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you are also to love one another. By this, by this love, all people will know that you are my disciples. 
if you have love for one another. It's that simple. It's a lot harder to live out. That applies to the things that we post on Facebook. That applies to the things that we tweet. That applies to how we treat others when we're pumping gas. That applies to how we treat others when we're in Walmart. That applies to how we respond to all the COVID-19 craziness. When the rest of the world is going absolutely insane, we're steady and constant and loving people. Because we know that nothing happens outside of God's power. Nothing happens outside of God's will. None of, Christ, none of the Christians should be looking to Donald Trump or to Joe Biden or to Barack Obama or to George Bush or even to George Washington or Abraham Lincoln or any other political party or power or person to heal and fix what's going on other than Jesus. That's, the, that's what separates us. It's when everybody else goes, oh man, I just, uh, this is all political and I don't know if Trump's going to get reelected and all this is going to die down in November and, and they're going to try and stop Trump. And these other people are like, this is how we're going to stop Trump. And Biden's going to get in there and then Biden's going to fix this and then Trump's going to get in there and he's going to overthrow Biden and, and Biden ain't got no chance and this is what's going to happen. Every election year we do this. It's just amplified by COVID-19 and we as Christians are no different than everybody else. If people can tell whether you're a Republican easier than they can tell whether or not you're a Christian, we got a problem. If people can tell whether you're a Democrat before they can tell whether or not you're a Christian, we got a problem. We ain't loving right if that's the case. If whether you're an elephant or a donkey or somewhere in between is that obvious, but us being Christians and followers of Christ is not, we have failed to live up to Matthew 5. To John 13, we got boils on us just like the Egyptians. We got flies in our backyard just like the Egyptians. We got dead livestock just like the Egyptians. We're covered in darkness, not shining the light. Folks, this love has to penetrate and permeate every aspect of our lives. Including our social media profiles. Including the rallies that we go to. In election years or off of election years. Wearing a mask. Not wearing a mask. We gotta love people. That's our job. We wanna be Christians. We wanna be known as Christians. We gotta love people. Even when it's hard, even when it hurts, even when it's tough. We gotta stand out. We gotta be loving in ways that other people are not. We gotta be generous in ways that other people are not. We gotta be salty. We gotta be light. So that people will know we belong to Israel, not Egypt. So that people will know we worship the one true living God. And this coronavirus ain't got nothing on him. So folks, these three plagues, the Israelites are set aside. Jesus calls us to be set aside in the same way. I, I can't answer for you, okay? I can only answer for me. And I know that when I read John 13, 34, and 35, it breaks my heart. Because I don't love people like that. If I don't wear some kind of name badge that says, hey, I'm a pastor. I'm the preacher down there at Bethany Baptist Church. Can people even tell that I know Jesus? Or that I love Him? And that I, I want Him to have control of my whole life? 
Does it just show? Am I kind and considerate to people? Am I compassionate and understanding, slow to anger? Is the fruit of the Spirit just oozing out of me? I've got to answer those questions, and a lot of times the answer ain't, a, ain't an answer that I really like. This morning, God brings us to this passage so that we would answer this for ourselves. Whether you're online, whether you're here in person. How do you measure up to standing out from the rest of the world so that people know you belong to Jesus? And this morning, if you don't belong to Jesus, He's the only hope there is. Trust in Him today. God sent His one and only Son to live a perfect life, born of a virgin. And then He died our death on our cross taking a punishment and a penalty for sins we committed that He did not so that we could have a right relationship with the Lord. And that after believing in Him, we would then live like Him. We would be salty. And we would shine a light. It's good to be salty. It's good to shine bright. Will you trust in Jesus and do that today? Will you allow the Holy Spirit to work on you this morning and see places where maybe you've become bitter and cold and not kind and loving? See where joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control have been replaced with hate and bitterness and anger and frustration and impatience. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word and for the truth found in it. God, we ask that you would move among us this morning. And, Lord, that you really would convict our hearts. That, Lord, we really would respond. God, I'm, I'm not praying for people to just come down here and kneel at an altar for show or come down here so that they feel better about themselves. But, Lord, I am praying that all of us would respond. Lord, all of us would take a minute to look at our heart and look at our lives and see if we look like Israelites or if we look like Egyptians. If we claim to follow Jesus, do we look like we follow Jesus? And if we don't, Lord, I pray that you drive us to our knees, that we would bow at our pew, that we would come down to the steps, that we would do whatever it takes to repent and to live for You, and to trust in You above all else. God, we need You. Our nation needs You. Our church needs You. Lord, I need You. Would You move amongst us this morning? Thank You for Your Word. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.